to uh, remember the legacy of Dr. King. Amen, amen. It's an important time for all that we know that's going on all over the world. I was saying to the uh, congregation this morning as we drove to church that uh, William Barber was saying that he was endeavoring to continue the work of, he, he view his work to the poor people, the poor people march. He view it as a continuation of the work of Dr. King. And I, I he's doing a wonderful job. Uh, others are also doing a wonderful job. But to hear it expressed so forcibly that way, I think it's a wonderful thing. He's not trying to imitate Dr. King. He's just trying to elongate, to, to project, to continue the wonderful things that Dr. King had done. And hear this and seek to do before he was dying. In other words, to emphasize the plight of the poor, the uh, marginalized, and many times the forgotten. And uh, I'm sure that, that, uh, that if Dr. King were here today, he would certainly welcome somebody like Reverend Dr. William Barber. I want to share with you, if you would just pray for me and indulge a bit, uh, I want to share about Goshen. Goshen. Because I think it's very important as we reflect on the scripture, we reflect on the power that God has given us really as people, even if we are disenfranchised, we still have great power. So we want to talk about uh, Goshen. Because one of the things that we need to keep in mind is um, environmental justice, environmental Segregation is something that escapes us too often. Uh, generally speaking, generally speaking, all over the world, um, the areas that disenfranchised people live in are more likely to be polluted environmentally and industrially. I, when I was uh, head of the local NAACP, took on some struggles against some issues of uh, env environmental injustice right in our own communities. Um, our children become sick more often with asthma and other childhood 
respiratory conditions of all of us are affected one way or the other. But if you were to chart and look carefully all over the world, where people, where poor people live, where people of lesser means live, will be the place that they would be more prone to put factors and so forth. I know that there's some, 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 uh, some logistic to some of this, and you say, well, you need workers, so you got to put it, they don't have transportation, yeah, 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 and all of that. But there is a tendency to put those kind of uh, uh, factories and other type of um, industrial enterprises near to where uh, people, poor people live, and the thing is, it's not the factories necessarily themselves. It's the lack of care in protecting the people from pollution in the water, in the ground, and in the air. So it's not just building the factories and having people to work there. And then the conditions within the factory themselves lots of times are not the healthiest, but it's a fact that the buck, the dollar, take precedence over the person. So I'm not really saying anything that you don't know, but I want uh, this Martin Luther King weekend to talk about Goshen. Goshen. Hey, let's let's go to the scripture first, I think. And let's look at Genesis forty-five and the ten. Genesis forty-five and ten. Genesis 45 and 10. Now, when Joseph gained favor with Pharaoh, and I have written about this, and lots of other people have said this, we think, you know, and it's established here to some degree that the Pharaoh was favorably, favorable to Joseph, uh, among other reasons, because um, he originally was, uh, you know, uh, from a family and a place of Bedouin. Uh, herders, um, people that move from place to place with their herd, as the Bible described that very much, with the patriarchs of the Bible. And in fact, they brought us with how they are herded when they uh, eventually sold Joseph to, uh, again, some Bedouins, some uh, herders, some travelers going back and forth to Egypt 
And you know all the things that Joseph went through, being torn into prison and so forth. But this Pharaoh was from a dynasty of Pharaohs that we recall, that we have called historically the Hyksos, the Hyksos, H-Y-K-S-O-S. And what's important about them is that it seemed like they were, they were often called the shepherd kings, the shepherd pharaohs. It is believed that uh, originally they came from very much the same area, some of the area of Palestine uh, that, 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 that Joseph and his family came from. So uh, when, when the famine uh, that actually brought uh, Joseph into great prominence came, uh, the Pharaoh at that time invited uh, the, the family and others, of course, and they multiplied and grew over the, over the years, of course, uh, to a particular part of Egypt, a rich part of Egypt in terms of fertility in the Delta, uh, what is called um, uh, Lower Egypt, uh, where the flowing of the various tributaries of the Nile enriched the soil. It was a wonderful place and a great gift from Pharaoh to Joseph Jacob and his family, the Hebrew people. You shall settle in the land of Goshen so that you will be near me, you and your children and your grandchildren. We know that the Hicksocks lived uh, in that area too. So that's how we pick up on another clue when that uh, these were excess uh, rulers because he says that you will be near me. You and your children and your grandchildren and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Verse 11, and I will provide for you there because there are still five years of famine lest you and your household and all that you have become destitute. So I guess the first thing we should establish here is that Goshen was a place of great blessings, uh, a wonderful place and a gift from Pharaoh to the Hebrew people to live and to prosper. Isn't that wonderful? Goshen. In the reflection that I've been writing in uh, Amazon novella, and I've told folks about that, you know, where I published different chapters about my growing up. Um, much have been written about that place that I spent at least my first 10 years of life growing up. A place called La Boca, which 
in English means the mouth. Literally the mouth or the entrance, the Pacific entrance of the Panama Canal. It's a place that um, lots have been written about in terms of social justice and social activism. And uh, much of it, believe it or not, not, not only in books one can research, but the Schomburg Library, which is a part of the New York City uh, library system located in Harlem, have a great amount of material uh, that researchers go there and look up stuff that pertain to La Boca and four other communities of Afro-American descendants. I wanted to share uh, a little bit of a, one of the chapters called Episodes, one of those episodes that I wrote about. My writing is not about a, um, because like I said, there's some wonderful books I've written about it, not about the social activism and other things that fermented in La Boca and the great change that was made in society. Um, my writing is really musing and reflecting and how many things capture the imagination of a child and how I express it and sometimes comically and how I'm able to fit it into uh, my everyday experiences throughout my life. Goshen. Uh, for several reasons, uh, the government did not consider La Boca. Then it was a good place, a good place strategically and so forth, but they, they were some, somewhat hesitant to build it up because um, part of it was subject to uh, to mudslides and some other stuff. And so uh, the people of African descent were placed there. And you know, you could be placed in somewhere that may be even hazardous, but by hard work and determination, you can turn that place into a place of prosperity in many, many different ways. I, you know, in the different episodes, I, I, you know, that La Boca comes up from time to time. It's not always about La Boca, but La Boca comes up from time to time. And I think it's very important to us. First of all, a lot of the successes that happened in La Boca was connected to the African-American and right here in the United States. 
even though they didn't allow the the NAACP to form a chapter there, the NAACP certainly influenced uh, what happened in La Boca in many ways, not just by reading about it, by association, by corresponding. Same way with music and and, and uh, with sports and so forth. Uh, a lot of the influence of what happened to that successful, very successful town of La Boca uh, was how people envisioned or understood the black society in the United States to be or could be. I, uh, I've spoken about this once or twice. Um, I, in fact, before I came to do the broadcast, I, Henry Louis Gates, Dr. Henry Louis Gates from Harvard University, the very, very famous historian, uh, he, was on, he was on the program. And um, I may have told you that our next-door neighbor, who constantly spoke about all kinds of environmental justice uh, things and so forth, that his children, one of his, his children became some very, very successful people in society, like so many people from La Boca did. And one of them was uh, one of his sons, um, and uh, he was teaching at uh, at one of our Ivy League colleges here uh, for for a period of time. So over at Yale, uh, he had a student, and the student was Henry Louis Gates. And uh, people have written that uh, Dr. Gates had uh, wanted to major in some uh, other field and. But once he attended the lectures and became a student of um, of this gentleman from La Boca, uh, Dr. Roy Bryce, he changed his mind and decided to go into uh, you know things that affected African American uh, in the diaspora and of course right here in the United States, uh, before, during, and after slavery. And so we have this wonderful historian uh, by uh, Dr. in the person of Dr. Gates, who was influenced because of his lectures on, on, on Afro-Antillian diaspora. Uh, they came to the building of the Panama Canal, and the town of La Boca uh, it made him very much interested in that type of history. As I kind of wrap this up, one of the chapters that I wrote, I use a metaphor of a bridge rising. And today I was talking about, you know, that, you know, we are builders. We are builders. We keep building or should be building on the legacy of Dr. King. And I can use another metaphor here that we should keep building bridges 
that others can cross over. And, and that's a metaphor to carry on the work of Dr. King. Just let Dr. Barber see that, 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 that we have a responsibility to carry on the work of Dr. Not a lot of things we are not achieved yet, but there's a whole lot of things that we can be proud of. We need to keep building the bridge. There was all sorts of environmental injustices and neighborhood injustices. And as we go back to the Bible, you see what happened to Goshen. That, that wonderful, blessed place that the people were placed in eventually became a place where they were enslaved, a place where they had little or no rights, a place where they, they, they weren't prospering anymore, and eventually became known not just as Goshen, but we eventually get the word ghetto from Goshen to ghetto. Environmental neighborhood injustices. Yes. I was talking to someone recently about our own neighborhood and uh, Coram, Medford, Middle Island, area where it's predominantly black. And I spoke about how when I was first introduced to the neighborhood, how I was told that the neighborhood wanted, to, uh, people wanted to gentrify, gentrify the neighborhood. Kind of makes sense. The distance from the railroad, there's a lot of undeveloped places there. And that's over, that's 50 years ago. But I was talking to the person and said, you know, we had struggled with builders that came into the community and built some subpars home. And I was part of that, um, that, 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 that protest and that fighting against that person and, we did succeed in many ways. The person like I've come back and others have come back and they're building better homes, uh, the homes are good, but someone is, and, and I, you know, and, and as I was speaking to someone, but those homes are not necessarily for us. There seemed to be some gentrification that is spreading from the outer edges, and some believe it's going to eventually overspread. So this environmental thing goes both ways. First, it gives you a great place, and then eventually, by neglect, by benign neglect and so forth, things slide, and your Goshen becomes uh, a ghetto. And then they take this ghetto uh, situation all over the country, and all over the world, and they gentrify it. They make it over for themselves. It's something that you just have to observe and understand. Uh, the Bible itself teaches us 
I mentioned one thing coming from this chapter I said before, it has to do with this bridge. The government, and it's for some amazing, well, it's not, the reason it's not amazing, just didn't want to leave things or build things for others to thrive on and to build on and to achieve more. That's why the people of Laboka were so determined to succeed in so many ways and they banded together in so many ways. That remarkable story, as I told you in some books in the Schomburg Library, they banded together because they really had no support from the government and so forth. And uh, so they really should have built a bridge from the mouth of the canal so that people could cross the canal safely. There was a draw bill, draw bridge somewhere several miles down the canal, but the, the main the main thoroughfare from the great city of Panama to what we call it in Spanish, the interior, the country, and where plantations were and goods were brought to the market back and forth. There was no rails, adequate and safe transportation. Barges were used as ferries, not the kind of ferry that you would see today, like in Port Jefferson and ferries going to Staten Island. There was a uh, uh, tugboat type of barges that was used. And many times it was just overloaded and packed. And people did die on it. And they, 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 a powerful nation didn't want to build a bridge. And one day, as a young boy, I don't know, five, six years old, that's part of this episode of a bridge rising, I call it. I was on the stoop of a house, sitting down on the steps. And we had just gotten this pet dog that my sister gave him the name Butch. Butch was a little bit more than a puppy. And there he was in the street and this loaded makeshift bus racing to get to the ferry on time because the spacing was very limited and the wait sometime could be long for the next ferry to come along and Butch was tragically killed. And I observe our neighbor of ours riding home from work on his bicycle was struck by a motor vehicle on that same La Boca Road, a very dangerous stretch of land, the street. And for the 10 years that we lived there, I lived there, 10 years that we family lived there, that road became dangerous. 
And I heard Mr. Bryce, Dr. Ron Bryce's father. I heard him as a little boy talking about this bridge that the people were pushing for and determined to get. And finally, as a grown man, I went back to that place. The whole neighborhood had gentrified. That's another story for another time. And became someone else Goshen with, 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 with the backing of the government, with the, with the support of the government. And the bill, the bridge was being built. And the metaphor that I used as I looked at the bridge being constructed, I imagine myself a little boy, I said, what if by a miracle that boss that struck Butch, our pet puppy had just risen up and went over Butch. Ah, childish imagination that I had when I was a child. When I came back and I saw that bridge being built. A great bridge. It's called the Bridge of Americas. One can look it up. Tons of pictures of it. Magnificent bridge. Since then, many other bridges have been built by the Panamanian government, and they're even building a tunnel, a bridge and a tunnel underneath, very close to La Boca, underneath the canal itself. Canal is a big thing, and I say 50 miles long, it's a it's, it's, um, it's a tremendous project that was taken on. But the thing is that, I look at that, I say to myself, yes, the motor vehicle did not miraculously rise above Butch, but it just seemed that the bridge itself is being raised up for the people by God. As I saw it towering way above where our houses used to be, it just seemed that something was just rising up for better days to come. And so it did. And I encourage all of us to understand this. That if God has placed us in a gush Goshen, it doesn't matter what people may try to do to us and turn our living situation, our circumstances of life metaphorically into ghettos. God can raise a bridge over that situation. And he can provide for us another Goshen.
So in spite of all the setback that we have had, even though we have made many strides forward, and there's those who want to keep us in the night that they're still trying to do what the Hebrew peoples keep them in the ghetto. What had become a Goshen for them, they would want to make it a ghetto. But God always have a bridge rising, always have a way out for us. And there's more ghettos that God is going to make Goshen's. And we thank God as we can appropriate this now to our individual lives. That God provide for us Goshen's. He provides us peace and tranquility, prosperity, and environmental uh, plentiful, bountiful blessings. And that's what we pray for each other all about. And we thank God for the Goshen's that he keep giving us. As we continue to pray, lift up, and support each other, let us be a bridge rising over that God will continue to keep us safe and bless us in a mighty, special way. This is my word to